Good morning. I find that most of the time that's my problem is that my glasses see other things besides God being my my vision and my joy and my dignity and my delight and um, please if you remember me in your prayers pray that my eyes would be focused in that direction and not upon myself and my own desires and affections as likewise I will pray the same for you whether you like it or not so um, if you're visiting we have these visitors cards connection cards and they're out there in the in the lobby if you're visiting and you want to you know just fill that out and give it to Dick or Martin or put it back there and um, that'd be great you know if you want to know a little bit more about faith bible that would be that would be awesome so let's go ahead and and pray and then we'll we'll dig in father we thank you for this time that we can come and seek your face we can come and bow our knees to your supremacy to your glory We can come into your throne room, Lord, and call you Abba and call you Daddy. Father, I thank you that you have made us your treasure. I thank you that that Christ has come and he has died our death. He died our sin. He was raised for our justification to glorify you. Father, what a precious, precious Savior we have. May our hearts be turned to how precious he is and how dear he is and that he is deserving of all of our love and our affections. May you be magnified today in the preaching of your word. May all glory be to you. In your name, pray all these things. Amen. Please open up to Ephesians chapter 1. I'll be finishing today (laughs) chapter 1. And um, last week I I, I had a lot and all of a sudden I looked up and I was like, oh man, it was time to end. And so this is going to be part 2 of what we are looking at. So we're going to be looking at uh, verses 15 through the end of the chapter, but primarily we're going to be looking at Uh, 21, 22, and 23. So I want to ask a question first. And my question I want to ask first is, what would you do if you were an all-powerful ruler? You had all power. And we all think about this sometimes, don't we? Oh, man, if I just had all the power in the world, I would do this, this, and this. But my question is, if you were an all-powerful ruler or a leader, do you believe that you are strong enough to be a good and benevolent leader? Do you believe that you are strong enough to be a faithful and righteous leader with fairness? Or do you believe that you would become corrupted 
by money and power. I think if I examine my own heart, that's where I would be. I would probably be corrupted by money and power. Therefore, God has not put me as the supreme ruler because he knows what it would do to me. Would absolute power corrupt you absolutely? Just think about that for just a minute. Now let's go into the Ephesians world. The Ephesians were a part of Rome, right? Who ruled Rome? You guys know who ruled Rome? What's that? Caesars? Caesars did, right? Do we know who was ruling at this time? Who said it? I heard it. Nero, right? Nero. And Nero was the friend of Christians, was he not? He worshipped with the Christians and he sang with the Christians, right? No, Nero actually killed Christians, right? He killed them in the Colosseum. He lit them up in his garden for candles. He was the supreme ruler and this is what he did with Christians. And this is what the Ephesians faced in their faith. But they were steadfast in their faith, right? They were committed in their faith, even in the moments that they could die. Where are you going to be when persecution comes? I mean, really, at the least, we get to be called a Bible thumper, right? Oh, you're one of those Bible thumpers. Don't come to my house. Don't knock on my door. Don't invite me to church. That's the worst kind of persecution we get right now. But these guys face death and persecution because of the supreme leader in Nero. But they were faithful. And we saw that last week. This is what we saw, that, that their faith was strong and that they were transformed in that faith by these things, by the object of their faith, who was the Lord Jesus Christ. And that object of them and their faith in Jesus Christ transformed them that they would have a genuine love for the saints. It was a love that Christ has for each person, and we talked about that love. It's not a love that we have, but it's a love that Christ has, and they loved each individual like Christ loved each individual. And this transformed them. And we see that in this transformation, Paul prayed for this to increase. He prayed that they would know Jesus deeper in more intimacy, that they would have a deeper relationship with him, that they would realize what a treasure they truly are to the Father and that they understand the immeasurable greatness of God's power that works in them and also worked in raising Jesus Christ. They, he prayed that they would embrace who Jesus Christ is. And today, we face some of the same things, right? We have leaders that think that they are supreme. You see, this is the beautiful thing about this Sunday school that we're going through. They talked about today where they said that the Bible relates to us where we are today. And this is where we are today, are we not? We hear people complaining about our government leaders. We hear people praising our government leaders. We hear these things because these people have power. But here's where we want to land. As believers, and our lives are being transformed, we want to embrace Christ in his supremacy. In his supremacy. Look at Ephesians 1, 20 through 23. This is what the apostle writes under the 
the guiding of the Holy Spirit. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. And above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So supremacy... What does supremacy mean? It is defined as the state or condition of being superior to all others in authority, power, and status. Okay? It is the condition of being superior to all others in authority, power, or status. So we see this first. We see the supremacy of Christ is revealed to us first in verse 20. He says that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. He seated Christ at the right hand. Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Now this seated at his right hand, it's a metaphor for a position of highest honor, bliss, or glory. So this is where Christ is. He is seated in the highest honor of glory because he is supreme in his rule, and in his authority. We see this exaltation within the ascension, right? This is what happens if we follow Jesus' life. He's born, man God, born. He lives this perfect life. He dies this sacrificial death to glorify God first and to draw us as sinners to himself. He's buried. Three days later, he raises, right? Three days later, he raises, End of gospel, not yet, because he ascends to the Father. In Acts chapter 1, he ascends to the Father, and he is seated in the highest position in glory because he is our supreme king. Listen to Hebrews 1.3. The writer says this, And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? And Timothy, in 1 Timothy 3.16, agrees with the Hebrew writer when he says, Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He, this is Jesus, was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. This is him seated at the right hand of God. This ascension when Jesus was raised, does four things. It completes the resurrection as we now have a human savior in glory. We have a man who's in glory and, we, and it's a man who sympathizes with us. He understands our weakness. Therefore, he intercedes for us before the throne of God. He is the dispenser of the Holy Spirit and he is exalted above everything. This is our Jesus. This is not our president. This is our king. He is exalted above all things. He is supreme in all rule, authority, and power. Look back at Ephesians verses 1, 21. He is seated above, far above all rule and authority. Far above. 
Far above, we can't miss that. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Jesus is exalted over man's intellect. He's, in, he's exalted over man's intellect. Isaiah puts it this, this way in Isaiah 55, 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Brothers and sisters, we don't think like God. We might think we think like God, but God is very clear to the prophet in saying, my thoughts, Mark, are not your thoughts. My ways, Mark, are not your ways. As far as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways and my thoughts above yours. He is a God who is outside of time. Our thoughts cannot be his thoughts. He is amazing. Jesus is supreme over all rule and authority, even over man's intellect. Proverbs 3, 5. You guys all know this one, I hope. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Yeah, good. I'm glad I got some chuckles on that one. <laughs> Don't lean on your own understanding, but this is what, the, what, what, what Solomon tells us. In all your ways, all of our ways, everything that we do, acknowledge him and he will make, your stress, your, he will make straight your path. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Man's intellect, Jesus is superior in. He's superior over science. He's superior over all things, man's intellect. He is superior over man's power. Listen to Philippians 2.9. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. I love this. I love this. Every knee will bow. We, we, we sang it, right? Come and worship. Every tongue will confess. Every knee will bow. This is a beautiful picture. And I remember listening to a sermon that John Piper preached. And, and it was just, it blew me away when he sat there and he says, every knee will bow. And this is it, brothers and sisters. You will either bow the knee to God now or you will bow to him then. But be assured you will bow. There will be nobody that stands with a prideful heart before Christ. Man's power is insignificant when it comes to his superiority. We will bow one day and you will bow before him either as your savior or you will bow before him as your judge. But you will bow. Colossians says this, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Jesus is supreme over the spiritual realm. Over the spiritual realm. Look back at Ephesians. This is what he says. 
Verse 20, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule, authority, and power, and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the name to come. This dominion, right? This dominion. This dominion, it means having a constituted authority. And most theologians believe that this dominion is Christ's authority and Christ's supremacy over the angelic powers, the demonic ranges and over the angelic powers, that he rules over these areas. We see that in this verse and we see it in Colossians 1, 15 and 16. And here's where we see it. It says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions. Same word, or dominions, or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Hebrews 1. The writer says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. You ever read a verse and you've read it over again and then it just kind of hits you when you read it again and you're like, wow. I mean, just think of that last thing. It has nothing to do with the spiritual realm. Well, well it does, but, but think about that. This is power. This is Jesus, right? He upholds the universe by the word of his power. My kids don't even listen to my words. They don't even listen to anything I said. But when Jesus speaks, the universe obeys. This is power. The universal base. That just blew, just, man, doesn't that just blow you away? And after making purification for sin, it gets better. After he makes purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Jesus is superior over the spiritual realms. Christ is supreme over everything. Go back to our text. Go back to our text. Look at verse 22. Verse 22 says this, And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church. So Christ is supreme over everything. So what does this everything mean? Do you guys have any idea what everything means? It means everything. That's what it does. He's supreme over everything. 1 Corinthians 15 puts it this way, For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. So all these things that Christ is ruler over, that he is supreme over, is everything because they are subjected under his feet. Hebrews 2.8 putting everything in subjection under his feet 
now is putting everything in subjection to him. He left nothing outside his control. There is nothing going on in our planet, in our lives, in our little world that Jesus is not in control of. Even when it feels like it's flipped upside down, going crazy, cattywampus, he's still in control of it. Because he is supreme over everything. This word subjection means to place or arrange under, to bring under influence, to be a subordinate. That's what it means. Everything is subordinate. It's under the exalted rule of Jesus Christ. So what is this everything? Our lives, our trials, our tribulations, our pains, our hurt, our joys, our triumphs, our government. In fact, all nations are under his supreme rule, right? We have Romans, right? This is the crazy stuff, right? We have Romans chapter 13. And this is Nero again. This is Nero again, remember, the friend of Christians. And what does Paul say in light of Christians to the Romans, in light of Christians being burned in the gardens? And because He says, submit yourself to every governing authority. Why? Because there's no authority that doesn't exist that God hasn't put into place. Brothers and sisters, as long as governments do not cause us to sin, we are to submit because it shows that we are God's children in obedience. Peter, Peter, as he writes in First Peter, and he, he talks about the persecution that they're going through, he says this, honor the emperor. Wow, honor the emperor. How many times have you heard that? Whether you agree with our president or you don't agree with our president, brothers and sisters, I'm going to tell you this right now. Honor him. Because he is God's chosen where he is. Whether you like what he does or not, we are to honor him and show ourselves to be Christians. Shows ourselves to be Christians. This is what Job tells us in Job 12, 23. He makes nations great, yeah, and he destroys them. He enlarges nations and he leads them away, right? He directs the king's heart where he wants it to go, like the river. He's in supreme, absolute, sovereign control because he is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high in glory far above the heavens and the earth. This is your Jesus. I want to drive that home. This is your king. This is who you serve. Psalms 10.6 says this. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved. He won't be moved throughout all generations. I shall not meet adversity. He shall not be moved. Not only is he supreme over these things, but he's supreme over the mundane things in our life. And he's supreme over the not-so-mundane things in our life. And he is absolutely supreme over our salvation. Which leads us to the final point. 
Christ is the head of the church. Christ is the head of the church. Look at verse 23, 22 and 23. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and all. So let's define a couple things first. Church. Let's define church. Church is defined this way. It's the called out ones. The ecclesia. That's the Greek, the Greek word. The ecclesia. It's the called out ones. It's the one that God has called out. It goes back to our, our first section when we talked about election. That God has chosen us before the foundations of the world, right? It goes to that. These are the called out ones. It's the church. It's the gathering. It's the, the congregation. It's not only localized like faith Bible here, but it is also universal. And we see this in Revelation when we, when we see that the, the church is gathered to worship the lamb who was slain. This is a church that Jesus is head over. He is not only head over faith Bible, but he is head over the un- church universal. So head, this is an easy one, head, the chief cornerstone. That's what he is, the chief cornerstone. The principal one to whom others are subordinate. This is the head. He is the head. I love this. In architecture, I I, I found this, it says this. In relation to architecture, a cornerstone is traditionally the first stone laid for a structure. The first stone laid for a structure with all other stones laid in reference. A cornerstone marks the geographical location by orienting a building in a specific direction. But what I want us to understand, it's the first stone that's laid. Jesus in the scripture is referred to as the cornerstone. Just not any cornerstone, but he's referred to as the chief cornerstone. He is the head cornerstone of our faith. So what's this look like as, as Christ is a cornerstone? Jesus ensures the, the stability of the whole system of our salvation. Man, isn't that praiseworthy right there? There is nothing reliant upon us. He is the chief cornerstone. Everything in our salvation is built on him. Is built on him. What a beautiful thing. Look at, uh, well, I just have this. Isaiah 28, 16, it's not on your thing, says this. Therefore, this says the Lord God, behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. If you go to this passage in Isaiah 28, 16, we see four things. One, God is the one who lays the stone. We see, two, that it is a tried stone. We see three, that it is a precious cornerstone. And we see four, it is a sure foundation. This is how we can view Jesus. We can view Jesus as this stone that God laid, this foundational stone that is a precious stone, it is a tried stone, and it is a sure foundation. Do you view Jesus as your sure foundation that you are firmly rooted in? Or are you tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine that comes through the church? And trust me, they come through the church like crazy. He's our cornerstone. He is the head of the church. Listen to Ephesians 5.23. For the husband is the head of the wife. We'll get there, husbands. 
For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Colossians 1.18, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. So what does this mean? If Jesus is the head of the church, that means, guess what? We're not. We're not the head. We're not the authority. Because someone sits in this pulpit, we bring the authority of God. That's what we bring. We do not sit here and say, I am the authority and you will obey. No, we bring this. And this says, I am the authority and you obey. That's what this says. That's what the minister does. That's what the pastor does. He brings the word of God to the, to the people so that they will, they will eat and they will feast on who Christ is. So that means that we are not the head. That means the church, the elders, the pastors, the deacons, they're, they're, they're officials that Christ has given gifts to under-shepherd the sheep and to care for them. But we have to remember that these are men who govern, but these men have to govern according to this word because they are under the supreme shepherd, the chief shepherd, the good shepherd. They are under them. And here's the problem. is sometimes, as pastors and elders, it can go to our head and we can get big egos and we can get big puffed up and instead of being these kind, gentle leaders, we become tyrannical. And we govern the body of Christ with a heavy hand. And Christ doesn't even do that. You want to see what happened to the shepherds in Israel? Read Ezekiel 34 and see what happened to them. Massive God takes you out when you, when you shepherd like that. So we must be careful that as God's children that we keep these men accountable. Pastors and elders have to be accountable. They are not above reproach. They are not above reproof. They are not above correction. I need it. I need to be corrected. I need to be reproved because I am not the head. I am not the supreme. Jesus is the supreme. Jesus is supreme. As his children... It is a must that we keep our focus on Christ as a head. He is the one who's the head of the church. He is the one that the church is built around. He is the one that the church is built upon. And he is the one that the church exists for his glory. Not a man in the pulpit. Never ever should there be a church that a man in the pulpit is seen as the glory of the church. It is all Christ. That's all I want to do, brothers and sisters. I just want to give you more of Jesus. Because if I give you more of Mark, you're going to be highly disappointed. Very disappointed. Amen. Everybody should say amen on that one. Right, Wesley? You're absolutely right. You're going to be highly disappointed. Jesus is the one who fills the church. He's the one who fills the church. Listen to Ephesians 4.10. He, this is Jesus, who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. What does he fill the church with? Well, he fills the church with his grace. The church should be filled with grace, right? John 1, 16. 
For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. We have received grace upon grace, brothers and sisters. So guess what? Give grace upon grace. He's also filled it with all mankind. With all mankind. There's no partiality with Jesus. Right? Every tribe, every nation, every tongue belongs to the church. Just not Americans. Listen to what Colossians 3.11 says. In this church here, there is not Greek and Jew. There's no difference. There's no difference between uncircumcised and circumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free. But Christ is all and in all. He is the head of the church. Finally, may we stand in awe that Christ in his love for us has chosen to attach himself to us, his body, in which he is the fullness of. As we close, since Christ is supreme, we can trust that his, as his elect children, whom he has redeemed and sealed with his Holy Spirit, that we will never be lost because of him being supreme. And one day we are guaranteed to be brought home to glory, to be with him, the lover, the supreme, excellent, glorified lover of your soul. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your word. Lord, may we stand in absolute awe of your word that you would be so merciful to send your word written by men to encourage us. Lord, may we be believers who walk this planet now knowing that Christ is supreme. He is excellent. He is exalted. And may our lives reflect that. May we trust him. May we hold on to him. And may we love him with everything that we have. To the praise of your glory, may the cross be central in our lives. In your name, amen. Let's stand as we sing our Last song, the words are on the back of your bulletin. I'm glad I'm up here because I get to see them.